Hi, Sotans, and welcome back to Soda Podcast. I'm Jason McKenzie, because are we still doing this? I Yeah, I mean, I'm Sarah Kensler, and, and we should still be doing this. You never know. Some people might not know who we are. Oh, yes. Sorry. You are totally correct. And for those of you who do not know who we are, uh, we just said our names, so welcome. <laughs> we did just say our names. We're so glad to have you here with us listening today. Thank you so much. Please tell all of your friends and relatives and co-workers and people that you aren't close friends with also like you know what I feel like this is something that you could kind of say in the hallway you know you pass those people by in the hallway at work you don't really talk to them you just kind of like acknowledge each other in a friendly manner that would be the time to be like hey how are you good also you should listen to soda state of the art podcast bye have a great day we would really appreciate that if that happens. And also, if that is how you, in fact, came to be here, then we want to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, that won't work for me at my workplace, though, because my workplace consists of two people. It's you and your boss. Yep. That is that is the entirety of our office staff. Does Does your boss know about Soda Podcast? <laughs> she does. She does okay. know about it. <laughs> Yeah, my, my bosses know about Soda Podcast, too. I wear my pen around, and people are like, what is S-O-T-A? And I'm like, oh, well, it stands for state of the arts. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's uh, that's what this is, and we're going to talk about some art. Yeah, yeah uh, we are, and it's going to be super interesting. Yeah, and some interesting things that have to do with art uh, are in the news. And I'm sure that everybody has heard the just incredible amounts of news on the coronavirus yes and what the coronavirus and the art world have in common is that it is causing you guessed it closure and some big ones at that uh such as you know it has affected this obscure museum that you may have heard of called the louvre the Louvre. The Louvre. I don't believe I've ever heard of it. Is it in France by any chance? It sounds very French. Uh, you know what? I've heard that. I can't say because I've actually never been there myself to prove that as a true fact. But as far as my knowledge goes, yes, it is indeed in France. Um, so it is mm-hmm. close to the public and the staff has been meeting to discuss the spread of the coronavirus in France, um, which uh, as of when this Arch News article came out, to which we are referencing uh, yesterday, at the time of the recording, obviously, uh, there were about 100 confirmed cases in France. So, yeah, you know, obviously places where people gather are where what's going to be what's going to be you know most on people's mind to avoid and i just wanted to note when i was reading the article about the louvre closing uh that the it was the employees of the louvre who actually voted to close the museum to the public they are unionized and so this was one of the acts that they did as a group well yeah that's better than like a top-down decision But it's just, it, I don't know, it seems like it's like you've got these dedicated people working at one of the biggest, the biggest, most well-known art museums in the entire world. And they 
come together to think of, you know, the public good. It's just very heartwarming. Yes. And, you know, also there's probably, you know, not not in a bad way, but a little bit of, you know, self-interest, you know, and kind of like a, well, you know, if you're working, especially people, you know, in the front of the house, like uh, people are coming from all over the world to the Louvre. And if you are interacting with people who just got off planes, like from anywhere in the world, day in and day out, and, you know... They're handing you money and you're handing maps and, you know, that kind of thing. Like people are sneezing on you while you're trying to like, you know, show them where to go on the map, things like that, you know. Um, And then, you know, they'll go to the back of the house to have their lunch or whatever and, you know, interact with the people who work back there. And just, you know, it's, um, you know, a, a preservation for the staff, but also like you wouldn't want to be that conduit as well from some other person to the next person who walks in and buys a ticket from that's very true i don't know if you can tell by the way jason was talking about it but both her and i uh spent a fair amount of time being customer service people that's how we met jason in multiple museums that is how we met yeah we were checking coats no we weren't we were sitting at at third avenue third avenue front desk Mm -hmm. and then you were like we weren't seated next to each other. There was someone in between, so we were, like, talking. I think it, we were talking over him, like, trying to, yes. like, hold back. Just wanted to be best friends right away in that moment. And just kind of <laughs> mentioning quips back and forth to each other uh, over the top of uh, his head. So that was fun. Yeah. I remember it fondly. Yeah. I do, too. Other museums that this has affected... Um, are the Mori Art Museum, the National Museum of Western Art, and uh, a few other Japanese institutions. And Mm -hmm. they're, you know, closing temporarily, uh, but we just don't know what temporarily means. Um, And it might mean something different for all kinds of places. Um, I know other institutions in Italy and South Korea have also closed. So it's, um, you know, it's not something that's, isolated to one country or one area right certainly not yeah you know i'm trying to like mediate what it means like how does one be an informed citizen who's taking like normal precautions and you know is being smart versus someone who's just eating up media because i mean obviously the coronavirus it's a real thing you want to avoid it uh, yeah, but generally, you know, of course, of course. But like the media is always going to play up something, you know, they're always going to want to like, even if it is a real thing, they're going to want to sensationalize it, you know, like, and I'm just kind of where's that line between you're being rational and proactive and informed versus you're, you know, just eating down everything that the media is like spoon feeding you, you know, like really, you know, buying into the the hype. Well, I mean, I think precautions are are necessary. And so that's what the Louvre and other museums are doing. And it, and it makes total sense, especially for something that's as well attended as the Louvre. I mean, they're, you know, museums are not equipped to deal with any type of health outbreak of any kind. So, um, so that makes a lot of sense. Right. And, you know, it, it. there's also, even if, you know, like the top, like, 
virus scientists in the world, you know, were to go to the Louvre and be like, no, you don't really, you know, have anything to worry about. I'm not saying that they do or do not. I'm just saying if this were to happen, um, you know, I think, you know, maybe places like the Louvre would close down, you know, also because of social perception, because they also don't want to be feeling critiques from the public or, you know, what have you, other entities about not closing Mm -hmm. because there's so much, you know, hype going on about it that they would get some kind of, you know, negative press or, or blame or something for not closing in the midst of, you know, the sensation that is going through the news. I just want to note before we move on that um, the the Carnival Festival in Venice uh, was canceled in its final days. It looks like that happened last month on February 23rd um, because that's when COVID-19 was officially found in Venice in Italy. So it's not just art museums, it's also festivals, apparently, but um, it seems like, you know, the powers that be are just trying to keep people safe, and unfortunately, that means very few fun times. So, everybody, stay safe out there, you know, don't don't live your life in fear, uh, but, you know, just, again, be an informed citizen that takes precautions, but, you know, don't, don't uh, hide under a rock. Uh, and, you know, maybe you can hearken back to some of our episodes where we talk about uh, digital collections and how you can view art from the comfort of your own your own home. Um, look back at some of our, you know, the digital yes. art, uh, you know, talks that we've had where we discuss art that, you know, lives on the Internet or lives in digital form. And you're meant to view it from your personal device and interact with it that way. Uh, you know, maybe that is a good time to, to give those things some love as well. We could probably link that episode in our show notes. Indeed. This from this past summer. I believe it's what is digital art and Danelle Quitty is one of them. That sounds pretty good. Excellent. went to a festival this weekend that was not closed it was open and i went to it yes no coronavirus in the desert because everything dies here like my hopes and dreams and are we keeping that in are you kidding uh, <laughs> just kidding <laughs> i don't know um right and so this festival was called the candlewood arts festival and it was in a small town called borrego springs california It's like an hour and a half from where I am, so just not that far. And it was in this really, just like exactly what you want, like a desert town to be. the The place was was really cute. It's set. It's nestled in this valley, so there's just these, you know, huge mountains around, great views. um, You know, full of that like low desert flora and palms and cacti and things like that and uh such cute shops oh my goodness i'll have to tell Uh you about the vintage shopping that i did there the the antiquing that i did it was so good i'll have to send you pictures um i heard your sigh of like wishing that you could have been there i heard that (laughs) it was so good i'll take you there when you come really yeah 
yeah, yeah. please. And so this festival um, is in its second iteration. So last year was its first one. So, uh, you know, if the trajectory remains true, uh, then it will be a yearly kind of a thing. And um, we went uh, for the opening, the opening festivities, if you will. And so uh, Borrego Springs, like I said, it's like a small town. I'd say maybe like a couple, a few thousand people, um, but very cute place. And it's really known for having these uh, sculptures already all over the town. Um, apparently, a lot of the land was uh, bought up by this guy who, you know, he had some money and he you know, travel out to Borrego Springs, really liked it. And so he just kind of kept acquiring land around there. And um, while he was driving, I believe, between Borrego and San Diego, which is like an hour and a half away, uh, he kept seeing this artist studio and he got to know the guy. And so he kept buying this land because he liked the area. And then he liked this artist. And so he just kept on like buying this guy's sculptures and putting them on the land that he owned and uh these sculptures are they're mostly animals um very stylized they're not like mm-hmm. photorealistic or anything and they're made out of metal uh like very raw metal welded together and so they're you know very rusted now you know somewhat surprisingly but over the few times that it does rain uh they have rusted and so, yeah, it's like single animals, like, you know, an elephant here and then a zebra over there. And, you know, there's a few um, like a wolf chasing a horse or something like that. Like sometimes there's two figures in the configuration. Um, and Brago Springs was just kind of, you know, this was kind of a little... Mm-hmm you know, a little quirk about the town. They're, they're like all over the place and in seemingly random areas because this guy just kind of bought land, you know, piecemeal and then liked this guy's stuff and then would put it there. And uh, so the Candlewood Arts Festival, um, at least this, this edition, the curator uh, had the artists interact with those pieces. So, for example, there's one sculpture that's a giant scorpion, you know, maybe like 15 feet tall and, you know, maybe like 12, like long, 10 wide, like a pretty giant metal scorpion. And, you know, your your average giant scorpion, your average giant metal scorpion. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the artists, uh, Faye Ray, did an intervention on the piece. So on the tail of the scorpion, which is kind of curved upwards, like like it looks right before they strike with their tail, um, she hung a couple of metal and glass pieces from that tail. So it's, you know, hanging down from the tail. And it's actually on this other art piece. And... Um, then for the opening performance, uh, they were originally going to have this performance 
next to this sculpture, just kind of on the ground and everybody would gather around it. Um, the sculpture is just kind of out in this like open field, open desert plot. Um, however, that day it was so windy. And this is something you have to think about when doing like an outdoor show is nature. And it was so windy and it was just kicking up so much sand and dirt that they had to move the performance kind of last minute like within an hour before it was supposed to be uh, started. And they, they moved to this um, small little kind of amphitheater that they had uh, built out near their library, which was actually a really great place because it had uh, built-in seating and it had a, a like a protective wall that echoed the sound. And um, the curator had commissioned a poet to create poems, you know, kind of, not about Borrego Springs directly, but about the land around it. So she had a poem about palm trees, and she had a poem, I think, about a spider, and then one about the scorpion. And there were two musicians. One was an electric cellist and an electric violinist who had interpreted the poems into a musical score, and then an opera singer sang the poems in an operatic style. Oh, cool. It was really cool. The musicians were so talented. It was wonderful. Um, and obviously you could see how, because uh, she called it the Scorpion Suite is the the name of the the poems like all put together. So you can tell how they, they would have rather have been with the Scorpion piece so that you kind of, Get the you know, whole like experience. Reference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then be out in the desert. But uh, like I said, this alternate uh, venue was was really great. So um, before this uh, festival, um, you know, I think really the kind of when you thought of art in this small town, you th you thought of those sculptures. And so I was just, you know, kind of thinking about what are the benefits of when you bring you know, when you start something like this in a small town, um, that's not really on the main path. You know, it's, it's, you know, out, it's out in the desert, it's out in this valley. It's not really, you know, it's, it's close to like San Diego, LA, Palm Springs, but you know, it's, it's not really a destination in and of itself, except for maybe like, you know, a kind of small town camping getaway, you know, kind of a thing. Well, it sounds um, like, too, this allowed them to put on, you know, quality content and creativity without spending the type of bu budget that a from-scratch art festival biennial exhibition outdoors would have spent. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, just because you're using pieces that already exist. So you're not buying as many materials. You're probably not spending as much time um, because you're you're working with a structure that's already in place. So I am actually really excited about this particular idea. I'd never thought about it this way before. But small towns that have a lot of um, public sculpture already can actually take this model and use it to enhance their own works and they could throw their own festival for relatively cheap yeah it doesn't you know kind of have this big budget I know you've seen other photos but just to kind of fill you and other people in um another artist Anna Suhoi 
uh, wrapped some of the sculptures in this really hot pink, silky, stretchy fabric. So when you went to visit it, um, you could kind of tell one of them was maybe one of these two animal scenes where they're interacting somehow, um, but it's all covered up. You can vaguely see that it's, you know, enc encapsulating two figures, but you can't really see what the action is underneath. Um, or another one is, uh, it looks like it's two horses, but the other one's wrapped, so you're just kind of, you know, you're kind of guessing what it looks like. You're guessing what the interaction between the two are. And then also, you know, the kind of rust-colored, you know, state that these sculptures are in kind of blends in with those desert tones. Whereas you see that big pink thing from a mile away, and it really sticks out. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's super cool. And so that's, yeah, it's another example of how they interacted. And then this other, and then the cafe uh, on a tree nearby hung sculptures that, um, like, again, these are like metal and glass, and they're kind of dangly, and they make sounds in the wind. And she hung them, hung them from a nearby tree. So the wind would kind of make them cling together and they would sway. So they weren't directly on like these pre-existing sculptures. They were in the vicinity, but, you know, on a pre-existing feature. Sure. Yeah, they're not will, like the building area. a structure to hold the sculpture nearby. It's they're just using what they've got. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so does this, you know, draw like have a draw for you because it's like sustainable um it has a draw for me because uh small town art is my jam um so <laughs> i'm i'm thinking specifically about uh the town that i went to college potsdam new york and there's there's actually quite a bit of public sculpture around there um i don't really know the history about it it seems like maybe sometime in the 70s or 80s the college was like hey let's make a bunch of public sculpture so a lot of it's on campus but there's not um there's not really an art festival to speak of up there even though there it is populated by many many creative minds and so just this idea of using sculpture that already exists to create additional layers upon it is really really appealing to me yeah absolutely and it's um not a format i think often explored you know there's kind of this Mm, like separatist kind of ideology in art. Like you don't, you know, you want art, art pieces to be in conversation with each other, but you wouldn't, right. you know, you wouldn't necessarily take two art pieces and smash them together, you know, <laughs> as a curator. <laughs> uh -huh. No, I think, I think this is, it's very smart and it also promotes creativity. It, it forces the artist to, uh, adapt to their surroundings rather than having the freedom to create what they want. Right. And for the locals, it gives them a new look at pieces that they, you know, probably have already seen, and then they can look at them in a new way. And they can see, you know, other people appreciating their, their local arts, their local kind of trademarks um and and seeing you know they're seeing them anew and then there's also you know it's bringing in people who have never been to Borrego Springs before such as I yep. and you know appreciating what they you know you know maybe have a bit of pride about 
about their small town, um, you know, at the same time that they're appreciating this like refreshed look at something that they could see every day. Sure. I mean, it makes it makes the idea of public art a little bit more accessible too when you're using pieces that already exist and that people are already familiar with in the area. Right. And it's kind of, you know, way more free from uh, pretentiousness or, you know, this whole like... Yes, any sense of hierarchy. Uh, keeping keeping up with the Joneses-y, yeah. you know, like you go mm-hmm. into a museum and it's kind of like, oh, well, this uh, this show just traveled from, you know, the Met and then it's going to, you know, this place, <laughs> this other special museum or, um, you know, this artist just got a big it just got a MacArthur and you know it's it's not tied up in this like okay whose name is on the gallery that we're standing in here it's not you know being like uh, like for example at Mia like why would I go to this MAEP show when I can go up and look at the Van Goghs on the floor above you know right Mm -hmm. it's just kind of very free of like any of this you know kind of pretentiousness or expectations or yeah as you said hierarchy of like going into like a museum or commercial gallery exactly so you know why don't we try it in a small uh, midwestern town yeah i think that we should we just need a small midwestern town to volunteer any volunteers email us at stateoftheartspod at gmail.com <laughs> i'm from a small midwestern town <laughs> Oh yeah, that's true. You are real small. Do you guys have any any sculptures out there in the middle of them fields? Not yet. <laughs> there is a mural that I helped paint when I was ten years old. They had a like a artist come in, and all the kids drew pictures of what they might like a mural to look like, and then the artist like took all these little bits of things that kids had drawn and made it into a long mural on the side of a building and then the kids got to help paint it so that's still there it's very faded but it's still there it's a little claim to fame of my artistic talent that I made a mark on my small town (laughs) you are so famous you are literally the most famous person I've ever met my I remember going to visit my grandpa when I was like Oh, I want to say like 21-ish. And uh, we drove by because there's, you know, just like the one street. And we drove by and he made me like get out of the car and stand in front of it like as a full-grown adult and take a picture with it. <laughs> Maybe I'll post this uh, with the blog post. I think I think you probably should. Yeah. So go check out our blog and see if I was brave enough to post that photo. Maybe I can find the one of when from when I was ten too. We can put them side by side. Oh, that's adorable. Oh, so cute. So cute. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, small towns rule. Go art. Go art. Small towns. Yay. How would you uh, introduce yourself? Um, I think, I guess I would say artist, right? Yeah. That's like an easy kind of catch-all. Yeah. I think I work with things that are already in the world. I kind of repurpose. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if I'm creating anything new as much as it is like a reflection. So maybe Mm -hmm. just artist. Yeah. That's good. 
Trina, Trina Fernandez, artist. And good smiler. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good smile. Good smile. Good smile. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for meeting me all the way out here in Brooklyn Park at this library. It's super cool. Yeah. It's a fancy one. Thank you. Thank you, Hennepin County Library System. So, Trina Fernandez, would you please tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, your approach, et cetera? So I am an artist. I come from Northern California, Sacramento. Mm -hmm. For some reason, people in Minnesota like to call it no-cal, which is not a thing that we say. That's good to know. I've only seen that in print, but I will now, if I was going to say it, I will refrain. (laughs) Yeah, so I come from Sacramento, uh, which is often called the Midwest of California. I moved to Minnesota for graduate school so I can kind of figure out what that means and Mm -hmm. the kind of ethos behind Midwest culture and why they would call that, why they would call my hometown that. Yeah, so I'm an artist. I got my undergrad in photography. uh, So my background is in image making. I'm a Filipino-American. A lot of my work kind of deals with like this uh, kind of general mood and affect that affects the world. And I think uh, being a second generation immigrant has definitely changed the way that I approach looking at American culture and where I see myself in it. Growing up, it was really hard trying to be both a good Filipino daughter and then also an American, you know, like... I can't just tell my parents to fuck off. Like, I have to be that daughter that, like, you know, takes care of them and does those things and follows these different rules. And and so I always found myself kind of walking in between those cultures. And so I've kind of spent a lot of time trying to figure out where it is that I fit in in between those places. And I think just trying to figure out who I am through that. And I think that the most approachable way was kind of looking at media and pop culture and stuff like that, something that I can kind of bridge the gap between those two cultures. Mm-hmm. So pop culture features in your works or is, is a basis for some of it? Well, I, I do like kind of repurpose these old materials and the and these kind of old imagery. I have like a lot of like nostalgia in my work that I look back at. I like to say that I look at the past as a way to connect to the present. Okay. So I kind of use a lot of that type of imagery and nostalgia to kind of figure out where I am and what I feel about these things that are happening in my life mm-hmm. and in the world. Is your main medium photography? I think that my work is always concerned with the image. Like when I do an installation, I like it to be as if someone is encountering something from like a movie, that kind of cinematic approach. So yeah, I do bring a lot of that element into the work and whatever I do. So I want to talk about the piece that I saw at SUVAC, Untitled 16, which is up through March 21st. The piece that I, that, that drew me in was a work of a cowboy that I did not, I was unable to identify mm-hmm. offhand. And I think only because perhaps my interactions with 20th century cowboy movies is, is pretty limited. So I didn't rec- I wouldn't have recognized it right away unless it was like John you Wayne. You don't know all the cowboys? I don't know all the cowboys, no. <laughs> um, I do know that cowboys were a short-term fad in the late 19th century and not 
the entirety of the 19th century like Hollywood likes to make it out to be. But that's a completely different topic that we don't have time for. So, so, so tell me about this, this work. It's a long title. It's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell Um, me about it. So the piece is called, do you think Clark Gable ever listened to anyone else but himself? (laughs) And it's a, so what I have up at Suvac is a smaller piece compared to the larger one, uh, which was a really large installation about 24 by 13 feet. But yeah, so it uses these this imagery of Clark Gable from the movie The Misfits, which is a late, it's kind of late for the cowboy feature. Um, and it's not technically a cowboy film, but Clark Gable does play a cowboy in it. So it's uh, 1961. So he's already old. This is actually his last movie. And it's also starring Marilyn Monroe, which is her last movie also. And it's about Clark Gable who falls in love with Marilyn Monroe, who is much younger than him. And he's this aging cowboy who is trying to, he's trying to figure out where his place is in the world as someone who's kind of becoming irrelevant, you know, because he's a, he captures wild horses in Nevada. And there's just, you know, at that time, less wild horses around. And it was, it's not, it wasn't a very popular movie, but I think kind of was this really beautiful exploration of, people trying to connect at different ages. And I kind of related it to this event that happened in my life in which this much older gentleman became very infatuated with me. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you feel comfortable talking more I about do. that? Yeah. Okay, please yeah. please talk more about it to the extent at which you are comfortable. I'm very interested okay. to know what the hell you are talking about. Yeah, so this older gentleman and I call him a gentleman because, oh, God, why do I call him a gentleman? Yeah. Hard. This older man mm-hmm. became infatuated with me, um, and he was maybe in his 70s. Um, so it's quite, quite the difference there. Um, and, you know, he would talk about wanting to, I guess, take me away to this kind of, like, to the countryside, to like this place where there were no rules, this kind of like old idea of what it meant to be a man and to live off of the land in this kind of return to nature. And I just thought that that was so interesting because that's not me. No. 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 no, I'm, you know. It's not anybody. That's not. Yeah, it's not, not a thing. It's not a thing. You know, and then I was I was thinking about, like, what does it mean to return to nature? Like, what what is it that the fascination is with this kind of, with older men? Really? Older people sure, wanting, yeah. or maybe not even older. I think there's just, like, this fantasy of just returning to this land. And what does that mean? And I kind of came to the conclusion that, a lot of people who want to go face this nothingness, maybe because they don't want to be confronted by things. And that was scary to me because it it was obvious to me that he was wanting to run away from things that had happened in his past and, and he wanted me to come with him because I was someone who saw him. And he just didn't understand that that's not me and I don't want to 
and that living a life like that just seemed or not wanting a life like that seemed so preposterous to him and so I created, I saw that movie, The Misfits, and I, I tied it to myself. It's like Marilyn Monroe is this young woman, and she's, you know, she maybe not doesn't know what she wants, but she, she wants that kind of love, you know. She wants that love and that attention. And then there's Clark Gable, who also just doesn't know his place in the world. And they kind of come together, and it's this big miscommunication of just like they're trying to connect, but they can't. I'm sorry, that just made me think that the movie should be called Miscommunication rather than Misfits. <laughs> I, I think the, the what they say kind of in the end was that, you know, or in the middle, they, they say that there are people who don't belong to that world, to either world. You know, Marilyn Monroe is like, she she's like this, she just, just got a divorce, but she's like this ex-dancer. And then, you know, she doesn't quite fit in anywhere because she has that past and then he's still living in his past so it's like oh they don't fit in anywhere Mm -hmm. and they also can't connect to each other though they want to because they're just not hearing each other so the piece that you made is for a big portrait of clark gable printed on many pieces over many pieces of paper Mm. so you printed parts of the portrait on each piece of paper to create the overall image Yes. Like eight, is it like eight by 11 pieces of paper? Yeah, it's yeah. just laser just print. Like on black and white. Copy paper, yeah. yeah. And then you put the pieces together in a way that's still, it's still recognizable as a person, but you shifted some of them around a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about what it meant to be seen and what it meant to be heard and how... I wasn't being heard and he just wanted to be seen, you know, because I think that he was also just, he played the old man in the background and I was someone who saw him. So the the pieces that are kind of collaged together is this kind of... It seems to be visualizing disconnection. Yeah, it's looking at disconnection. Yeah. Right. The pieces that are kind of collaged together, it's more around like his face. What is the larger piece? So this, because it's not, this is not the full thing that you have up at Suvac right now. Right. So the larger piece is, it it's kind of similar in that way where the the body is kind is collaged. So I have an image of Clark Gable, and over it are these transparencies, these other images of Clark Gable, and it kind of morphs his face into this. It kind of morphs his face into this almost monster. Yeah. You know, and it's in the face of this giant wild horse. In the movie, they equate the horse as kind of wrestling with your past and wrestling with that. And Rosalind or Marilyn Monroe has this thing where she doesn't want Clark Gable to hurt that and it's like this precious animal and and you know, but it it kind of is just like these two monsters kind of fighting each other. Mhm. Um, for space. So the version that you have up at Suvac right now, how do you find that people are kind of responding to it? Uh, there's obviously a lot of craft into it because it is, it's copy paper and it's just taped up onto the wall. So I think mm-hmm. people are noticing that type of craft, which is kind of a throwback to my work uh, because this is where he 
where the gentleman found me okay. <laughs> was I was working at a place. I was working at a place, and so I used these elements from work to kind of call that back. Yeah, and I think that people are responding to the craft and this kind of idea of this American man and that masculinity and what that means to. I think what it means to be masculine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This also is looking at like this cultural nostalgia, the idea of I think it's I think it's still pretty obvious that like the 20th century western cowboy man was the ideal for men for a long time. I feel like that would be still be pretty obvious across generations. It's still it's still present in many ways. Um and so you know you've used imagery that's fairly recognizable in a format that's really really accessible. And I think that gives your work more strength in what you're trying to get ac- across. Because even when I like when I first looked at it, it seemed pretty obvious. With no other context, I would have been like, "This is about <laughs> masculinity and an ideal." Like it's it's very approachable. Yeah, and I love having those layers in my work. This kind of balance between personal narrative and something that kind of draws you in with this nostalgic thing, and then maybe also in part this American critique or some Mm -hmm. sort of thing about the general mood of the world, I think, as well. And I love having those layers. It's it's really important to me to make this stuff accessible because art should be something that attracts everybody Mm -hmm. and not just someone who knows of this obscure Arthur Miller play or, you know, people who are versed in Clark Gable, but it should be something that's like, oh, I can do this, like, I can make this and recreate this, but, you know, it would take on a different meaning because it's a different narrative, but I want people to believe that this is something that they can make as well. Do you feel like this particular theme that you brought up with the Clark Gable piece, do you feel like that's something that's going to continue as you do further projects, or is this... I think all of my projects are always, they always find their way back in a different form. Mm-hmm. And I think that thinking about being seen and heard and my encounters with masculinity, that's something that will always be in question. Like there's there's always things to question about this stuff. And I don't think that the exploration of self and your relationship to it ever stops Mm -hmm. it always just takes a different form so trina what is what's next for you what's what's coming up well i'm always looking for shows in minneapolis since i'm new here but right now i do have a show coming up at the mcad library from april 17th to may 12th and i'm going to be showing off a piece called decathixis anyway there's going to be a slide show performance that i'm going to be doing on the opening so there will be an opening reception at some point. Yes. <laughs> and it'll be it'll be posted on both, you know, MCAD's Facebook um, and also somewhere on your social media. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. If people wanted to find out more about you or your work online, what are the platforms online in which you exist? You can go to trinaphotog.com to see more of my work and you can also find me on pretty much everywhere under Trina Tron, so that's T-R-I-N-A-T-R-0-N. Ooh. I know. Mm-hmm. And I, I cannot change that name because it's the same across every platform, and 
I'm not sorry about that. <laughs> you should not be sorry. It's a good name. It's a really good and the and the uh, the zero element. I know. Started on Xbox and just and just went from there. Continued on. I understand. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. I'm yeah, so glad <laughs> that we engaged in boisterous art conversation at Suvac randomly because I was there for Roshan's opening. Yeah. And you were also there. And then now we've done this. Now we've done this and it was fun. So thank I'm you. I'm so glad that you had fun. <laughs> yeah. Making me talk about my work is important. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good. But really, thank you, though. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us, Soda listeners. You can find our show notes and other information about us on our website at sodapodcast.blog. Please email us with any feedback or to alert us of any arts events coming up at stateoftheartspod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at stateoftheartspod or search for Soda Podcast. You can find episodes of State of the Arts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. We have a Patreon. There's a donation tab on our website. Donating to the Patreon will help us cover the costs of producing the podcast. And as always, our music is provided by The Von Tramps. Great. Me too. <laughs>